I um, read a story many years ago about two teardrops that were flowing down the river of life. And one teardrop looked at the other and said, who are you? And that teardrop said, I'm a teardrop from a girl who fell in love with a guy but lost him. And then that teardrop turned to the other and said, who are you? She said, well, I'm the teardrop out of a girl who got him. (laughs) I couldn't help but think of how this is a picture and how this picture really goes a long way toward illustrating the fact and the reason why five out of six Americans say that they are discontented with life. I couldn't help but think of that. I believe every one of us, without exception, at some point in our lives, somehow, somewhere, we have been conscious of the, what I call the dull hum in the back of our minds, of dissatisfaction, of discontentment in our life. Somehow in the back of our mind, there's a deep-seated discontentment that most of us feel at some point or another in our lives. We just sense it, that dull hum of discontentment, that dull hum in the background of dissatisfaction with life is not limited to those who are suffering or going through a great deal of pain. It's not limited to those who are experiencing life's hurts. It's not limited to those who are experiencing life's tragedy. It's not just limited to to those folks. Uh, I think many believers are discontented. Many believers are discontented. Whether they are discontented and their discontentment stems from disappointment with God, disappointment with church, disappointment with other believers, disappointment with family members, whatever the disappointment stems from, but there is that discontentment, there's that nagging feeling that says, there's more to life, I know there's more to life than this. Something is still missing in my life, and I'm not fulfilled in what I'm doing, and I'm still missing out on something. This can't be all there is. Surely, that dull hum that I call keeps on humming, keeps on humming. We try to quieten it by making some changes in our lives, but end up being surfacey changes anyway. We try to quieten it by acquiring some things, and then we try to quieten it by going from one unhealthy relationship to the next, but nothing seems to be working. Nothing is working. Have you ever asked yourself, I mean, in your Honest a moment, just when you're alone with God, have you ever sat down and said, what really lies behind this drive for contentment? What really is the main cause? Why are we all looking for that contentment? Have you ever thought, I've asked that question and and tried to come up with some answers? Well, I have. (laughs) I've asked myself that question on numerous occasions and And then when I found the answer, I decided to put it in a book. And I'm calling that book Divine Discontent. A friend of mine said, 
What, 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 what kind of a title is that? Well, let me explain it to you. Why the book is called Divine Discontent. You see, there are two components to discontentment. The first component is the fact of sin. Sin with which we are born. The second component is the grace of God and the mercy of God and the hope that Christ gives us. Hence the word divine discontent. Those who focus mainly on one component, and that is the component of sin, they live a morbid life. They live a discouraged life. They live a guilt-stricken life. Those who focus only on the mercy of God and the grace of God and ignore sin live a shallow life. They live a mercurial life. They are up one day and down the next and up one day and down the next. Because in reality, until you come to grips with the two components of discontentment in life, until you come to grips of understanding that those two go together, you will not find contentment. I am absolutely convinced of one thing, and that is this. Failure to understand these two components that make up this contentment in our lives is the reason why five out of six Americans say that they are discontented and dissatisfied in life. I'm convinced of that. Listen, you can pursue all kinds of answers. I mean, you can go to the end of the earth. You can accumulate truckloads of things. You can play hard. You can try to drown yourself in a pool of Jack Daniels. You can try to pursue one failed relationship after the other. You can go from church to church to church to church. You can do all you want. But until you come to grips with those two components of sin and grace, you will not experience inner contentment. In fact, it reminds me of an inscription on an English graveyard. And there, a marker on one of the tombs said, She died of want of things. And right next to her, there is a marker that says, and he died trying to give them to her. (laughs) But you see, God's Word makes it very clear that discontentment and dissatisfaction in life is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual issue. And spiritual matters must be dealt with spiritually. You can try all the solutions that the world offers. And you can try for days, you can try for months, you can try for years. It will not work. I want you to hear me right on this one. Loss of contentment can push us in one of two ways. It can either push us or lead us to the path of cluttered, that's cluttered with, with, with broken promises of fulfillment, but no fulfillment. Or it can lead us up to the place of turning to God. The search for fulfillment will either lead you down the road of more discontentment, more tears and grief, or it will take us up only to the, 
the one where he gives us the place of rest and refreshment. You know, we often make the mistake of thinking that uh, discontentment is a 21st century disease. We really do rationalize and say we live such rushed lives. We, all the technology and all the advances and all the things that are happening, uh, this discontentment must be a modern-day plague, and it's not. In fact, discontentment is as old as humanity itself. What is making it worse today, what is making it worse, is that we are trying to apply human solution to a spiritual problem. We are trying to apply earthly solutions to a spiritual problem, and therefore we're failing over and over and over and over and over again. The Bible tells us that this spiritual problem began with Adam and Eve in the garden. The moment they wanted to go it their way, they lost their peace. The moment they declared their independence from God, discontentment set in. The moment they thought they knew better than God, restlessness took over. And from that time on, discontentment has been the legacy of humanity, has been the legacy of every one of us. So what is the answer? I tell you what, the moment you recognize that your discontentment is a spiritual issue and a spiritual matter, you're halfway to the solution. The moment you recognize that your discontentment is rooted in sin, you are halfway to the solution, to the answer. The moment you recognize that your discontentment in life is rooted in your desire to go it alone without God's instruction book, you are halfway there. And today I want to contrast two individuals, two biblical examples that the Bible gives us. And I want to contrast them because if you read the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, probably there are no two greater contrasts. And of course, the Bible was not written so that they can give us those people as a contrast, but it's the Word of God being authored by God from beginning to end. It just makes it very clear as you read the Word of God. Two men stand in contrast to each other. They are thousands and thousands of years apart, but they stand in contrast with each other. One of them kept on pursuing human solution to his discontentment. One of them kept on applying earthly answers to his spiritual problem, and he failed. And he lived in discontentment a miserable life until he died. The other one allowed his discontentment to be an opportunity to drive him to God and receive the grace of God. One is Cain, and the second one is the prodigal son. I want you to focus with me just for a little bit between those two guys. Cain's restlessness began with jealousy. I want to tell you something. If jealousy is eating you up, It's going to destroy your life eventually unless you deal with it. Jealousy is like this strong nail in your shoe. That is going to keep absolutely nagging you until you remove it. Until you deal with that issue, it can destroy your life, as we see in the case of Cain. 
Because Cain's jealousy of his brother Abel, the obedient one, he, in a fit of anger, killed him. How? Let me contrast the two for you. Two brothers, same mommy, same daddy. Isn't that always amazing? Kids are all different. Same genes, but they're so different. Abel learned from mommy Eve and daddy Adam of their failures. He learned from their mistakes. He learned from their sin. Abel learned from mommy and daddy that the root of discontentment is disobedience. Abel learned from his parents that failure to please God, God's way, causes disaster. Abel responded to his parents' teaching. He learned from their teaching. He listens to their instructions. And he listened to the importance of obedience to God. Abel understood that living in defiance to God's directions, in defiance to God's instruction, is not worth it. Abel sought to live his life God's way, not his own. And so he offered to God the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. He offered to God a lamb. He shed the blood of an innocent lamb. Because that's exactly what God taught his mommy and daddy. When God took them out of the Garden of Eden, he shed the blood of an innocent lamb, which is, of course, a foreshadowing of the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross of Calvary. And by the shedding of that innocent blood and putting the the covers, the skin of the lamb to cover them, they learned the lesson of atonement. And Abel learned that lesson. He learned it well. And so he sacrificed to God an animal. And innocent blood was shed to sacrifice for his sin. And that sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain, on the other hand, decided that he is going to give God what he thinks God should have, not what God wanted, not what God asked for. So he offers grains. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this one, because there is a possibility. I have no evidence of that, but there's a possibility that Cain's sacrifice was just as costly as Abel's. There is a distinct possibility that Cain's sacrifice was just as sacrificial as Abel's. But that's not the problem. That's not the issue. Not the value of the sacrifice. The problem was the problem of the heart. Not the value of the sacrifice. The problem was that Cain did it his way, not God's way. The problem was that he did it with the wrong motive. And for the wrong reason. And therefore, his sacrifice was rejected by God. And so, in a fit of anger and jealousy, he killed his brother, his obedient brother. He killed his obedient brother. And then he lived in restlessness for the rest of his life. Listen to what the Bible said. The Bible said Cain went out and built a city and became a restless wanderer. You know, I am convinced in my own heart, knowing the revelation of the character of God and the Word of God, that even at this point in his life, after killing his brother, 
had Cain asked for forgiveness, God's grace would have given it to him. I'm convinced of that. Listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you, my beloved friends. Because, like Cain, there are so many people running away from God looking for answer to their discontentment. Like Cain, there are so many people take refuge in all kinds of cities that are built on their own image in an attempt to quieten that restlessness in their heart, the the discontentment in their heart. Like Cain, many people are running away from their past instead of confronting their past. There are Many people like Cain who are looking for something or someone to fill their inner void that only God can fill. There are so many people like Cain who are running away from God instead of letting their discontentment drive them to God. He's the only one who has the answer. Because by running away from God never alleviates the problem. Running away from God never quells the guilt. Running away from God never quietens the conscience. Running away from God never cures the restlessness and the discontentment. Running away from God never heals your memory. Only running to God will find healing, restoration, joy, and peace. But you know what the sad part is? Cain never went to the one, the only one, who could have given him rest and refreshment. Now, if you're here today and you're like Cain, if you are where Cain was, let me plead with you. Come to the only one, the only one who can give you rest and rest your heart and give you true contentment. But then Jesus gives us an example of a man in Luke chapter 15, if you want to follow it, the second example. It's in Luke 15. I think most of you are familiar with it. A young man. We don't know much about him, really. We don't know his age. We don't know his name. We really know very little about him. But we know it's a true story because Jesus told it. It's not a parable. It's a true story. It's a true story. And we know him as the prodigal son. But you see, he too was restless in his daddy's home. (laughs) He, too, was discontented with his family's life. He, too, wanted to go to the far city where he could find himself. You know, when people come to me and say, I'm just going to go and try to find myself. I said, don't waste your time and energy and money. I can tell you where you find yourself. He, too, was looking for answers away from God. He's looking for solutions away from the Word of God. He, too, thought that his contentment was to be found in doing his own thing. But he soon discovered, as soon as he ran out of money, his fair-weather friends dumped him. As soon as he ran out of money, his fair-weather friends, whom he thought to give him contentment, they ditched him. The people whom he thought could fulfill him, (laughs) disappointed him. Are you surprised by that? No. That's how it is. The very people whom you thought that they can meet your needs, they'll turn your back on you in the times of trouble. 
until this man found himself eating from the trough of pigs. And that is the worst condition that a Jew can find himself. Not just eating pigs, but eating the food of the pigs. That's worse. Now, beloved, I want to tell you, there is a world of difference between Cain and the prodigal son. Let me tell you about that difference. It's very important that you get it and that you learn it. Unlike Cain, the prodigal son came to his senses. Unlike Cain, the prodigal son did not allow his pride to get the most of him. Unlike Cain, the prodigal son began to deal with his spiritual problem of dissatisfaction and discontentment spiritually. Let me tell you something that may be new to some of you. It may not be new to a lot of you, but it may be new to some of you. Listen carefully. It takes more courage to come to God in repentance than persist in foolishness. It takes more courage to admit and confess than pretend that everything is fine. It takes more courage to acknowledge sin than trying to explain it away. Only courageous people can say to God, God, I've sinned. God, I was wrong in foolishly thinking that I can make it in life without you. You know, it's impossible for me to read the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 without a lump in my throat. And you know what? It has nothing to do about the boy finally faced up to his, the errors of his way and the fact that he repented of his sins I don't get a lump in my throat because finally the boy came to his senses and returned to his father. I don't get a lump in my throat as much about even the story of the boy. As much as I get a lump in my throat when I think of the father. In fact, the whole story that Jesus tells is not the emphasis. It's not on the parodical. It's not on his legalistic older brother. No. The whole story, the focus of the story, is on the Father. It's on the Father. And that's where I get totally undone every time I read the story. When the boy came back, after squandering his inheritance, and in the Middle Eastern culture, if you ask your daddy to give you your inheritance while your daddy was alive, it is nothing short of wishing that your dad was dead. That's what you're saying. That's what the boy was saying when he asked for his inheritance. He said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. I'm not going to wait. After he squandered his inheritance, after he disgraced and shamed the family name, after he messed up royally, The father never condemns him. The father never prods him. The father never retaliates. The father never asked him to jump through hoops in order to get back to the home. The father never sent him to a halfway house in order to get him cleaned up before he can come to his presence. The father never asked him to pay back for the misery that he caused the family or the money that he wasted. None of that. 
And my beloved friends, I want to tell you, this is the amazing grace of God. Did you know that all religions, all religions, have certain hoops that you have to go through, you have to jump through, in order to be part of that religion? I mean, the Buddhists have their hoops, the eightfold paths, and the, and the Hindus have their karma, and, and the Judaism has its rituals, and Islam has its five pillars, and all religions, and even Catholicism, you have to do certain things to, to be accepted by the church. But you know, none of them can truly guarantee the relationship, intimacy with God, and forgiveness of God, and the assurance of heaven. You go through all these hoops. And you never have the assurance of receiving forgiveness from the hand of God and that your sins are not only forgiven and you're assured of eternal life. None of them. When you come to Jesus Christ, there's only three words you need to say. Father, forgive me. And do you know that when that boy came back and he prepared his speech and he was coming, and, I, and if I'll say this and I'll say this, you know, like when you practice, and, and he was probably just practicing his speech, and, and as soon as he says, Father, forgive me, and the Father said, that's enough. <laughs> My friend, if you get tired of wondering, you get tired of searching, you get tired of restlessness, when you get tired of discontentment, you can come to God the Father through Jesus the Son, Repent of your sins. And God the Father, through Jesus the Son, welcomes you and forgives you. He will never tell you, Oh, foolish one, why did not come to me sooner? Oh, you foolish one, why did you do that? Oh, you foolish one, why did you wander away from me for so long? No, 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 no. None of that. He welcomes you with open arms. He forgives you all of your sins. He adopts you in His family. He closes you with His robe of righteousness, and He feeds your soul. You have a decision to make. You can be like Cain and keep on wondering in your restlessness, in your discontentment. Or you can be like the prodigal and come to your senses. Father, only your Holy Spirit can open a blind spiritual eyes to see And therefore, we ask for the Holy Spirit to perform a miracle right now and open some eyes, those who have been wondering for so long like Cain, that may become like the prodigal, and turn to you. And those of us who know you, and yet we're living our lives in discontentment because we allow sin to come into our lives, we ask you to forgive us. Father, I pray that heaven will rejoice today. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.